Good morning. I am not Pastor Jason. My name is Jennifer Potter Buff, and I am also a United Methodist pastor. Uh, Jason and I went to seminary together. We took our preaching class together, uh, and I've been good friends with Jason and Jenny for uh, a long time now. Um, Jason asked me back in July if I would preach in November, and that felt like a really far way away. And I said, sure, I can do that. Well, I haven't preached since July. Uh, When Jason and I were ordained together, he got sent to Jacksonville, and I went down to Bradenton, and I pastored down there for five years. And this summer, uh, I left that local church uh, to become a chaplain at Tampa General. So I've been doing a different kind of ministry. Uh, So I beg your patience with me as I remember what it's like to stand in the bright lights and, uh, and to preach. Uh, But it's a joy and a delight to be here today. I'm so thankful that Jason and Jenny had time away together. Uh, They had a wonderful time, they said. Uh, So I'm glad to to get to fill in while they were doing some resting. So last week, Jason started an exploration of the book of Philippians and the joy that Paul encourages us to find in the midst of life. And today we turn to chapter 2. But before we read the text, I want to ask you to stop and think for a moment. Think about some of the ways that you were first taught about God. I've been thinking a lot about how I first learned about God as my husband and I tried to parent our two-year-old son and teach him about God's love. As it turns out, Andrew loves bedtime songs. One more, he asks at least once every night after we sing. Usually it's three more times. The songs that we sing to him are the same songs that my husband and I learned when we were children. Songs like Amazing Grace, Jesus Loves Me, It Is Well With My Soul. We sing It Is Well every night, and Andrew has begun to sing along with some particular phrases. If you want to see something cute, watch a two-year-old try and sing a hymn. It's precious. We would be delighted if his earliest memories of God were rooted in the idea that no matter the storms of life, God is with him, anchoring him in hope and love. My guess is that for many of you, your earliest memories of learning about God are also rooted in song. Music has a unique shape us. Sunday. We've been doing it since the very first days of the church. Philippians 2 contains the oldest known Christian hymn, which is often referred to simply as the Christ hymn. So let's turn to chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, 
Take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. But most of all, God, take our hearts and set them on fire. Amen. These verses from Philippians 2 are a well-known chunk of scripture. And they're memorable because they are a song, because they are a hymn. Scholars debate whether this was already being sung in Christian communities or if Paul composed it right here in the letter. But what we do know is that Paul is writing a pastoral letter to his people, to his friends, to a community who is beloved by him. He's imploring them, live like Jesus. And look, if, you, if you've got questions about what it looks like, let's, let's sing about it together. Paul tells his friends that, that the words we'll sing teach us about who this Jesus is. This Jesus is loving, humble. If you've got questions about what it means to hear the gospel proclaimed, that's okay, Paul says. Come and sing. Come and worship. Come and have your memories made. And before you even realize what's happening, you will have a church-shaped, Jesus-shaped mind. And as a result, your lives will tell the world about this God. And every knee will bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This is a beautiful picture. It's what we want to be as Christians. People whose lives and communities are shaped around the love and sacrifice of Jesus. But if you're anything like me, it also sounds awfully hard. Hard to fully imagine, hard to fully live out. When Pastor Jason and I were talking last week about this series and what he planned to preach in week one, he told me he'd done me a favor in leaving me chapter two of Philippians. He said, everyone loves it, it's great. And I thought, you jerk, it's so hard. This is hard to live out. Let's read what Paul writes next. God is the one who enables you both to want to and to actually live out his good purposes. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Innocent children surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt. Among these people, you shine like stars in the world because you hold on to the word of life. This will allow me, Paul, to say on the day of Christ that I haven't run for nothing or worked for nothing. But even if I am poured out like an offering upon the altar of service for your faith, I am glad. I'm glad with all of you. You should be glad about this in the same way. Be glad with me. I got stuck on the line about living without grumbling or arguing. It's easy, right? My work as a hospital chaplain introduces me to all sorts of human realities. About a week ago, I met a patient who I'll call Mr. B. As I reviewed the request for a chaplain visit, I saw on our hospital software that, that there was 
note about how Mr. B communicated. It turned out that he'd had a full laryngectomy sometime in the past, so his, his vocal cords were gone, and he couldn't, uh, he couldn't use his, his throat to speak. And so he communicated via writing, is what the chart said. And I'll be honest, I assumed it would be a tough visit. There was enough information there that, that helped me to understand that Mr. B had lived a difficult life, and it looked like it had been a life lived without much support. When I got to his room, I walked in and introduced myself, and we spent a few minutes kind of acclimating to each other, finding a way to communicate with with body language, with hand signing letters, and a little bit of writing. As he got a little bit more comfortable with me, Mr. B told me that he was lonely. I'm lonely he told me. I don't think I'll ever forget the image of him looking me in the eyes, spelling out for me his reality. My heart broke a little bit for him in the moment. I asked him how he usually dealt with being lonely when he wasn't in the hospital. And his response surprised me. Not because he had some compelling reaction to loneliness, some compelling way to fix it, but because his heart was not broken. He gave some answers about watching TV, trying to make the best of things, playing cards, but the real answer to his loneliness was in his eyes. There was a spark there. He wasn't wallowing in his reality. Although he was honest about what his life was like, instead he was sharing with me his sacred story without grumbling, without sorrow, without self-pity. I spent about half an hour with Mr. B that day. I did nothing remarkable in that visit. I just showed up. And in response, he taught me something important about what it is to live with humility and honesty. What struck me is that he wasn't trying to hide the difficulties of his life or his experience. He was open and honest with me. But his honesty didn't require my sorrow or my fixing. He had all of the reasons in the world to grumble. But that's not the path he chose but he also didn't try to put on a mask or a fake smile. He was simply himself. I keep thinking about Mr. B and that spark in his eyes. Somehow, in the midst of real physical limitation, in the midst of real human he has found joy and gladness. I started thinking about what Paul tells us about grumbling. That grumbling is decidedly not a hallmark of followers of Jesus. Think for a moment about the sound that comes to mind when you hear the word grumble. Most of us can instantly conjure up a sound to attach to the word. Grumble, 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 grumble. The Greek word that is used here is gangusmos, which I think is its own perfect kind of sound. 
gangusmos, gangusmos, gangusmos. That Greek word can also mean something like muttering or murmuring. And so I'm left wondering if we know what grumbles or mutterings sound like, what does gladness sound like? What does it sound like to live out the gospel? What does it sound like to live in joy? Perhaps this is where the Christ hymn at the beginning of the chapter begins to come alive for us in a new way. What if the Christian life sounds like glad grumbles? Gladness that gets put into music. Gladness that is spelled out in a way that the world does not expect. For gladness in Christianity sounds like this. Let the same mind be in you as was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What if we begin to let our gladness, our joy in Jesus Christ be the soundtrack of our lives What if the noises that people associated with us as individual believers and as a Christian community called First United Methodist Church of Dunedin, what if those noises that we lived out in our lives were the noises of glad murmurs? A few weeks ago, I uh, was at my home church where I grew up for a funeral for a teenage boy who had died tragically. The teen's parents were some of my youth group volunteers and mentors when I was in middle school. That funeral was the hardest and most holy thing I've witnessed in a long time. At the end of the service, we sang together a song that the youth group currently loves to sing. It's called Come As You Are by David Crowder. And I can't get these words out of my head. And I wonder if they might be part of the soundtrack of glad murmuring. I want you to hear a few stanzas. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy. O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, All who are broken, lift up your face. O wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless and all those who've strayed. Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Do you hear the good news? Jesus invites us, come, 
Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. That's the sound of gladness, the sound of glad grumbles. The truth is that following Jesus doesn't erase the realities of our lives. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we don't know sadness. Following Jesus does not mean that we won't have physical limitations or unspeakable tragedies. But following Jesus does mean that we know and worship a God who knows exactly what our humanness is like, who knows precisely what grumbling sounds like, who knows the temptation of hopelessness. And following Jesus means that there is an invitation for you and for me and for the world to come just as we are in all of our human frailties and imperfections, in all of our sinfulness and not-enoughness. There's an invitation to come and receive the grace and love and mercy and joy of God in the waters of baptism and at the table of grace, to receive the, the grace and goodness of God here in a community of the church through the silent, simple presence of another, through the prayers of the church when we know not how to pray, through laughter and joy of life lived together, through the messiness of life lived side by side. I think that the invitation of of Philippians 2 for us is, is to consider that gladness is not cheap. The community who surrounded those grieving parents cried together even as we sang that there is no sorrow on earth that heaven cannot heal. Mr. B's loneliness and physical realities did not disappear because of half an hour spent with a hospital chaplain. Our gladness doesn't just get plastered over our sorrows as a mask or some kind of cheap balm. Rather, gladness is the work of God in our lives. Our gladness and our joy can bear testimony to the real pains that we have borne. Jesus poured himself out for us. Jesus stretched out his arms on a cross for us. Jesus knew the depths of human sorrow. Jesus knew the depths of human sinfulness. And Jesus knew the realities of God's joy. Christian gladness comes as our hearts and minds and lives are pressed into a Jesus-shaped life. Joy comes as we are emptied of ourselves, as we are healed from our wounds, as we are made into wounded healers who serve God's world with the sounds of glad murmurings. And so I invite you this week to consider the sounds of your own life. What does your life sound like? Does it sound like grumbles and mutterings? Or does your life sound like a life that has been shaped like Jesus?
a life of pouring out, a life that proclaims that you and I and, and all the world might know that Jesus invites us out of our grumbles from wherever we've been. Jesus invites us to come and sit at the table, to come and taste the grace. Might we have the courage this week to see the gift that God is setting before us, the gift of joy and gladness, the joy and gladness that comes from God's own life and love. Might we be courageous enough this week to say yes to this gift of God, to say yes to sounding like glad murmurings to receive God's joy even in the midst of life's lemons and sorrows and realities. Might we say yes to looking like Jesus, to being poured out for the sake of others, to proclaiming the name that is above all names, Jesus. Let's pray together. Holy and gracious God, we are grateful for your invitation to come out of sadness, to come out of our murmurings and grumblings, to come from wherever we've been, to come and let rescue begin. God, we pray that this week we might lay down our burdens, that we might lift up our faces to you, that we might hear that invitation, oh wanderer, come home. Thank you, God, that there is always hope for us, that there was always the invitation to come and sit at the table to come taste your grace. And so, God, we pray that this week you might transform our grumbles into the sounds of glad murmurs, that we might be people who sound like the gospel lived out, that we might sound like people who are shaped like Jesus. We pray for your courage and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.